From PQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. My name is Grace Krulanovich, and I'm going to be reading from The Orange Eats Creeps, a novel published by $2 Radio in 2010. Dislodged from family and self-knowledge and knowledge of your origins, you become free in the most sinister way. Some call it having a restless soul. That's a phrase usually reserved for ghosts, which is pretty apt. I believe that my eyes filter out things that are true. For better or worse, for good or merciless, I can't help but go through life with a selective view. My body does it without any conscious thought or decision. It's only a problem if you make it one. Safeway at sunrise. We storm through the doors. Totally wasted, we run for the back, behind the scenes. We barricade the door so Josh can menace the bag boy. What would happen if you harnessed the sexual energy of hobo junkie teens? The world would explode and settle on the surface of another planet in a brown paste is what? Cockroaches would lick it up and a new wave of narcissistic gypsy slut shitheads would hatch out of tiny pores on their backs. Hobos may fight for existence, righteous battles for the sap of tradition, the tramp code, Vampire hobo junkies, on the other hand, are reprehensible assholes who would rather whip your little sister raw than smoke a corncob pipe in a boxcar. Forget them. Wrenched from foster homes across the country, teeth cut on whites at a tender age, these shitheads could really use some of your cash. We have the urge to do a lot of things, but only some stuff gets done, mostly for legality reasons. The dead bodies on the train tracks? That's not us. That's some local murderer the newspaper calls Dactyl. Or rather, that's what was signed at the bottom of a note the self-described janitor of souls submitted to the editors. This guy basically took credit for every unsolved homicide from the last decade. But it was so much bigger than him. Dactyl was just one more soldier in the unwar. The cops laughed at the photos of his victims, mostly clipped from snapshots of other people. The dead girls looked weird whooping it up all alone, caught in a fuzzy moment stripped of context or friends. They weren't real pictures, likely none ever existed. The poor girls didn't go to school or prom, they didn't drive, they mostly just went about their lives on a street where nobody looked. Peering out of a tuft of brush in a forest clearing, the illuminated husk of a convenience store below, five white faces, cold, with pink cheeks and noses. Warm breaths all in sync. Waiting for the call of their leader. A big boy, skinny, holding his concave chest bent comely like an insect or a wasp. Our bodies are empty, drained. We were only half there. Pulled up to the filling station, you could say. Given the signal, we break loose from dry branches and tumble down the hill. We break into the Seven Eleven, surprising the clerk inside. A kid just like us, no older, no smarter, only still fully human, still 100% alive. We suck his blood, yeah, but not before making a mess at the coffee station, sampling tins of meat and peaches, trying on sunglasses, touching each other in the back room. The boy loses consciousness about the time we get bored with our toys. Seth gives the signal to bail, but I slip away into the back again, stooping low to the ground looking for clues to my lost little baby, my beloved true love sister Kim, now gone these 15 months. She ran away from me and our fake family. I was real, though. I was a real person there, 
then for her, we kept each other alive those long winters. Before rushing into the night, I looked for markings, etchings on the floorboards. Hobo hieroglyphics, maybe, or a scrap of lace or strands of her long brown hair. But I find no trace, just old cans of engine oil and aprons and a bunch of name tags piled in an ashtray. None of the other boys understands, maybe because it's hard for me to talk about and I end up just not saying very much of anything. Instead, I communicate with Seth and certain other meaningful men through my touch, my kiss. Unlike most kids, I met my family when I was 12 years old. Kim was already living there, but she didn't beat me by much. Dinner at our house went like this, green salad, arguing, praying at bedtime. It wasn't so much that she ran away, she just clocked out. I left to go follow her. She wasn't going to get away that easily. I'd always been raised to believe that the truth was within me. Who the hell raised me anyway? Maybe this journey was a way to find out. It may sound weird, but I always have been aware of the fact, we always have held close as a motivating factor, that I can achieve greatness in my lifetime. We are all part of that for each other. I'm pretty sure I was born in Arcata, California. I don't know how I became a foster kid. I often demanded of Seth, tell me where my real family is. He just shook his head. Your parents died when you were a little baby. They did not, I screamed. Thing is, in a dream, my mother visited me as an angel. My father visited me as an angel, each taking an opposite form. I sucked the life out of one while the other sucked the life out of me. But we'll get to that part way, way down the road. Till then, it's about beginnings. I busted out laughing. Beginnings, I said to no one in particular. What an arbitrary mess of a word. Let's dispense with all the misguided, imprecise, illusory, disingenuous terminology right off the bat. But this is about beginnings. I saw my first evisceration six miles back in the stockroom of a Coburg gas station. You could say I'm beginning to like life on the road. But of course, no sooner have I said this than I step into the ladies' room of a chevron up on Good Pasture Loop. I was just done washing my hair in the sink when a man walked in. A surprise, the possibility of which I had only ever played through my mind 8,000 times. And here it was. I stared at him through cold water in my eyes for what felt like a long time. Frozen with fear, I closed my eyes as he swallowed the distance between us. I made note of his nose-breath on the back of my neck after he gathered my wet hair on top of my head in a fist ponytail. I opened my eyes just as Seth appeared in the doorway. What I didn't see were the exchanged glances several minutes earlier in the trail mix aisle on the other side of the door, between Seth and the man, who was a great deal older but not very much taller than me. What I've always found to be true is if two beings are tuned into the right frequency, then there is no need for anything else. Here words would only cloud the poetry of what was about to commence. Only poised choreography and a certain inept longing filled the space. With effortless grace, the man yanked my skirt up over my butt while he simultaneously pushed my head down toward the sink. He was small, and I barely noticed him. Back outside in the parking lot, I choked on my own glowering sadness, each sigh bringing more tears. Burrowing into my sweatshirt, I gummed a piece of candy with a mouthful of mucus, as the other boys whooped and fake punched each other in the stomach. I lose track of them. Each boy in our group all seemed to blend into one mechanical teen felon meathead in my mind. I'm only half affectionately looking out for them, 
bearing witness to the march of their pathetic, overdetermined lives. Since all the boys are a bit older than me, they've been out on their own, away from their families, for a long time. They are legally men, while I'm still a girl. I can't picture myself being any way else. For now, I'm getting used to wearing the same clothes every day, eating ground-scored snacks and brushing my teeth with a bottle of tap water in the sand. I have agreed to show no signs of weakness. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.